This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, flamethrowers. Shireen here. We just wanted to let you know that while recording this week's episode, we had some technical difficulties with our audio. For this reason, one of the segments initially led by Lindsay needed to be omitted. Instead, we are inserting an amazing interview with Amrit Gill of Punjabi Hockey Night in Canada. This is in addition to Jessica's interview with Monique Billings of the WNBA. So this week, you'll be treated to two fabulous interviews in addition to our usual discussion segment. Please don't be alarmed if you feel like Lindsay has dropped off from the episode. She will be back with her usual fervor, burning what needs to be burned with excellent audio. Thank you so much for your understanding. Welcome to this week's episode of Burn It All Down. It's the feminist sports podcast you need. On this week's panel, we have the fiery and brilliant Jessica Luther, independent writer, general slayer, and author of Unsportsmanlike Conduct, College Football and the Politics of Rape in Austin, Texas. Brenda Elsie, associate professor of history and undeniable genius at Hofstra University in New York, and the indomitable and brilliant Lindsay Gibbs, sports writer at Think Progress in D.C., and I'm Shireen Ahmed, freelance sports writer and cat lover in Toronto, Canada. Before we start, I would like to thank our patrons for their generous support and to remind our new flamethrowers about our Patreon campaign. You pledge a certain amount monthly, as low as $2 and as high as you want, to become an official patron of the podcast. In exchange for your monthly contribution, you get access to special rewards. With the price of a latte a month, you can access extra segments of the podcast, a monthly newsletter, and an opportunity to record on the burn pile, only available to those in our Patreon community. So far, we have been able to solidify proper funding for editing and transcripts, but are hoping to reach our dream of hiring a producer to help us with this show. Burn It All Down is a labor of love, and we all believe in this podcast, but having a producer to help us as we grow would be amazing. We are so grateful for your support. But before I start, the team of Burn It All Down needs to issue an apology to our friends in New Zealand. There was a bit of a misunderstanding on our part of why New Zealanders are called Kiwis. So New Zealanders are named after the Kiwi bird, not the Kiwi fruit, as we ascertained. Now, according to a flamethrower who sent us a wonderful email, he says, the fruit used to be called Chinese gooseberry, but farmers in the 1960s started calling them kiwi fruit for marketing reasons and to associate them with New Zealand. Now, the actual name derives from kiwi, a native flightless bird, which is the national symbol of New Zealand. And until the First World War, the kiwi represented the country and not the people. But by 1917, New Zealanders were also being called kiwis, supplanting other nicknames. Now, this is important to know. They're named after the flightless bird, not the fruit. And we take this very seriously because we love our listeners and we hope we didn't offend anyone. And apologies, sincere apologies from us. Today's top of the show, we will be talking about some high stakes drama between the Yukon Huskies and Notre Dame. Jess, drama. I can't believe you just said Notre okay. Dame. <laughs> Yeah, lots of drama. I, it's Notre Dame. We say Notre Dame here. Yeah. Uh, last week, last weekend, number two, UConn went to number one Notre Dame. That has that is no longer the rankings as UConn handily defeated Notre Dame, really picking up in the second half, sort of doing uh, like old school UConn, UConn win there. But it was yeah, full of drama. Fan favorite Enrique Ugambwale. 
had words with Gino Ariema. I'm always going to side on anyone's part that's against Gino Ariema. So I assume yes, she had like, same. I assume she had a really good reason for all that. But then it like devolved into like really fun pettiness. Like Muffet McGraw, the head coach of Notre Dame, ended up blocking Brianna Stewart on Twitter. The Yukon Notre Dame's announcer called Yukon the University of Kentucky over <laughs> loudspeaker. Yukon the Yukon official account tweeted thank you next once the game ended, which is a reference to the amazing Ariana Grande song. Everything about that's spectacular. I just, I love pettiness in sport, and I feel like women don't get to do it as much, and I just embrace it wholeheartedly. It's so good. So, like, this all, the background here is back when Arike was in high school and she was visiting schools. She tweeted her final five list. So this is back in 2014. She tweeted her final five colleges that she was considering and UConn was not included on the list. <laughs> and about 15 minutes after she tweeted this, <laughs> Gino Ariema tweeted. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I can't even do this. Okay. Gino Ariema tweeted, stay tuned for my list of the five players I saw the past seven days that I have zero interest in recruiting. Hashtag what a joke. <laughs> He's such a jerk. He, whatever she said to him, he deserved it. Yeah. So then, you know, they get into it. And, you know, both Arike and Muffet ended up issuing apologies, which fine, whatever, uh, you know, but to for, the their, fans, for their not behavior. To, to the fans. It was like, to, to the fans. To, yeah, to, for losing their composure. But I love this all so much. And I look, I'm excited for this W this season in NCAA, but I can't wait till Rika gets in the WNBA too. Oh. <laughs> so okay, excited. so I love UConn. I'm a huge Husky, huge Husky fan. I Katie Lou Samuelson, like that I love her so much. I just I think she's amazing. Yeah, she's real my, legit. My friend Batula Kamara plays there. Like I just the whole team is really incredible. I've also been on campus and met with them and like they're the conversations they have in the locker room are really amazing. That be said, I've never been to Notre Dame. I don't know what kind of conversations. Notre Dame. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's good. I'm Actually, I'm sure. sorry. I'm trying. It's to in not Indiana, say it like Shireen. That. It's in Indiana. So. <laughs> Indiana. They don't say Notre Dame. And they're okay. so kind of like not Notre Dame. It's very sweet. It's very sweet. Okay, I just so, don't think they deserve your beautiful pronunciation. Like I feel like Madame Arsenault, my second grade teacher, if she ever heard me say Notre Dame, would like like roll over in her grave because that would just it's I just can't anyways I've never been there but my point is I love the Huskies I mean, I'm one of the fangirls of Gina Oriema I gotta say it I, I saw him run a practice and I was just in awe I was in awe the whole system is meticulous it's like a fine-tuned machine like it's just but I agree with both of you I love this drama I love that this is happening I love that there's players that are like getting upset and doing this it's more life in this entire being and I'm so here for it. Like, I just, I love it. I'm so, and I then I found out because Gabby Williams quote tweeted Brianna Stewart and was like, ha 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 ha. So it's like, and these are WNBA players. So I, I can't wait to see this kind of go forward. <laughs> I agree. But I also, we just have to say, I know you love Gino, but has Gino been on burn all down? No. Has Muffet McGraw? Yes. So, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> absolutely. Yay for Muffet. Like absolutely. I'm saying. But Azure Stevens has and Keanu has, so I'm just gonna say that. We're talking We're just about coaches. Okay, okay just absolutely. But yeah, so we love them. Brenda, talk to us about soccer and how it's spoiled because of men. <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> dear listeners, this week we've had in women's soccer has been a roller coaster of events, culminating in Saturday's draw for the matches of the Women's World Cup, which we'll do a special Patreon on as well, just so you can hear my extensive complaints, if that's what you show, so choose. But in the lead up to all of this, we've been reminded of how little women really matter to the patriarchs of the global game, like how very little they matter. There were some great threads this week and articles by people who recognize this, including unusual efforts and the equalizer. But I just want to throw out a few things to start with. Obviously, we have to talk about our first female Ballon d'Or 
and you can pronounce that one in French, Shireen. <laughs> winner, winner, Ada Hergerberg, who is a football genius, wonder, beautiful to watch. But we also have to remember she won't be playing with the Norwegian FA in the Women's World Cup, at, at least as far as right now, because of continuing sexism in one of the most progressive federations in the entire world. So that's pretty amazing. Wait. Yeah. Wait, explain that. Why isn't she playing? Ada Hergerberg has withdrawn since 2017 from playing for the national team. And it has to do with her claims that the FA, despite some of the progress that they've made towards pay equity, still treats its players as second-class citizens compared with the men's team. And this has come up for the last two years with her. And, you know, first when they had a terrible, terrible Euros. And then... You know, and the players were really dejected and she withdrew at that point. Then when they qualified for the World Cup, people thought she might come around again. So far, she hasn't. She reiterated after winning the Ballon d'Or that she would stay in France, that she'll keep playing for Lyon. But she's not interested in participating in an FA that won't hear her or the other player suggestions. And this has like caused a lot of older players to actually criticize her. And there's been some public, like, defriending on Facebook, <laughs> like, on Instagram following. But this is a two-year thing so far. And it doesn't seem as though she's budging. And I think she's awesome. So, anyway, for doing that and for sticking to her druthers. And I'm sorry that older players or other players may look at resentment with that. But I also think we have to be pretty, like appreciative of women like that that are willing to go out on a limb for so long for this. So we could talk about the Blonde Taylor ceremony. There's a ton there. Also just want to throw out a few other things in light of the draw. Once again, just remember that FIFA's prize money has actually been proportionately worse this coming year for men and women's. They have significantly increased women's prize money from 30 million or to 30 million from 15 million, but men of course moved from 358 million to 400 million. Thus, you know, increasing substantially and this week we cannot i think not mention the debacle in the copa libertadores femenina so tons of press about men and how the men's cup will now have to be played out of south america Uh, it's the club championship named after the independence leaders of latin america versus spain and they're sending it to madrid So Copa Conquistadores is what people are calling it. It's tremendously upsetting. And so in all that crap, in all of men's men misadministrating football, we miss the terrible, terrible things that happen with the women's Copa Libertadores, which happened at the same time, including insane, like, Andresina doesn't seem like she was ever registered in time, then came and scored a goal for a team she's never played with before. Seems very weird. Terrible ref calls, including adding strange six minutes on the end of a match for the other team to score that, oh my God. But Colombia ended up huge underdogs winning Atletico Huila from Colombia. It's their second season. And we just have to say the prize money is $55,000. Winning the men's Copa Libertadores is $6 million. Like how much money is it costing them to move the tournament to Spain? Oh, God. Like that's got to be way more. (laughs) These women. But to to make matters even worse. (laughs) The money that the women's side win is going to pay off the debts for the men's side. Well, it's not anymore. You're right. What happened was they said it was all going to the men's team, which had never even qualified for the Libertadores. (laughs) They're terrible. (laughs) They're terrible. But this is part of FIFA's rule to Conmebol and Conmebol saying everybody participating has to have a women's side, but not following up on what that means for anybody. So they basically give them shirts, right? And yeah, they said 55000 is all you get. These awesome Colombian women took to social media. And now what they've decided, and Shireen, I feel like you're not going to be satisfied with this answer. I'm never the, satisfied. I'm never satisfied. The exciting satisfied. thing is that they're now getting $1,000 each. So only the majority will be going 
to pay off the men's debt, but twenty thousand will be going to paying the women. You know, what? after we they should, slept on the floor of an airport for seven hours. By the way, we should probably yeah, they did. We should probably just thank men for allowing us to breathe. I think that's what we should do. We should change course here. Who else would they have to beat up on all the time? I mean, who else would would they have to to shit upon? Anyway, okay. Like, okay. That ends my sloppy intro to this. No, it's not sloppy. I just wanted to remind our listeners that this particular segment is also a corollary segment of burn, like the burn pile. Essentially, this could be considered a construed like a longer burn pile because we're just sitting here wanting to torch everything. Speaking of torching and really bad DJing music, so. Ballon d'Or. We're so excited. We love Ada Hegerberg so much. Like she's 23 years old. She plays for Olympique Lyonnais. Like she is undoubtedly she's gifted. I remember we had some discussions on Burning All Down when Marta won Player of the Year, and for me, Ada was. I think you recall she for me with Sam Kerr, who wasn't even on the top, and Pernille Harder were my faves. Who should who ought to have won. Um, Brenda, I know I, I know how you feel about that, but that no, was but just I a agreed. discussion. I agree you on Hugerberg. Actually, you it did. was a burn it all down nomination. It yeah. was a nomination. That's right. So that being said, she's so poised and dignified and so happy. And her speech was beautiful. We were all reveling in this moment of happiness and women's football and the world and the community and this fabulous person and her teammates for Olympique Lyonnais were there supporting her. It was a gorgeous photo. And then comes a man. And Martin Slovig is some random little DJ, and he says to her in French, which means, can you twerk? And her face is a mix of side-eye, disbelief, irritation, but she just said, no. And she turned around, collected her ballon d'or, and she left the stage. And we're sitting there in real time, kind of in disbelief, going, did he just ask her if she can twerk? Like, no, the point is, is that some people like then, of course, people return to Twitter and like, is it really that bad of a question? And hence the uh, Spanish. Yes. It's terrible. Are you asking oh on Twitter? Who Any, are you? So there's Ugh. a couple takeaways we get from this. The takeaway, and, and this actually prompted the Spanish Bud Light company to actually issue this horrible commercial and this little gif of people twerking saying, oh, it's a celebration, a goal celebration, twerking is fine. Yeah, no, don't just sit down. Bud Light in Spain, just please sit down and get ready for the you know Copa Conquistadores or whatever. So the thing is, is that in any level of journalism or presentation, it's a terrible question. But secondly, we also have to look at France football. Why is that man on the stage? Can't he just be like David Guetta and just play tunes in the background? Why does he have to talk? Like, I'm okay with men maybe being there if they just don't talk. So maybe moving forward, that can be a strategy. Like, I'm just trying to think half glass full. So it was, there was all Ada's, uh, you know, teammates came out. She had an interview with Susie Rack in The Guardian talking about it. She's a formidable person. She has so much integrity. And like, that was just the biggest, most annoying thing. And the thing is, I saw on the on Twitter as well, people saying, well, we're not actually going to talk about that level of sexism, because we just want to focus on her win. And I'm like, no, there's a place to talk about her win and salute her and admire her. And there's also a place to talk about how shitty this is. Men don't get to come and say, we're not going to talk about it because it'll overshadow her. No, nothing's going to shadow overshadow her. There is a place to do that. So men, stop doing that. Stop saying we're not going to talk about it and take away from our win because that's you not doing your work. Yeah. Can I just say that I think the thing about the video, I mean, it's so quick, the whole thing of him asking her this and her saying no, but the look on her face was one of those moments where I just felt it. Like I knew that moment of like being really high, feeling good about what you've accomplished and then having a man say something to diminish that. And like you just read it just all over her face in a way that was so visceral. I don't know. It's just so normal. And that's so much of what's upsetting about it. And then people use the normality to say that it's not worth talking about. And that sucks. That's a shitty dynamic. Yeah, totally. Lindsay? Yeah, that moment, Jess, you're totally right. Like that moment. It, we've we've all had it. The way her face fell, whew, it just, it really got me. Like I got emotional watching it. 
even though I know she's fine and she's great and this really like she's celebrating and she should be. And I understand why she doesn't want to make that big of a deal out of this, but just men, men, once again, we're just going to talk to the men. Just let women have their moment. You don't have to say anything. (laughs) You can just let the moment happen. You can just say, congratulations. That's it. That's all you need to say. Just makes me so mad. I do want to just kind of end this big conversation about, you know, men in soccer ruining things for women. The U.S. soccer announced the schedule for the lead up to the World Cup this week. (laughs) And I don't know if anyone saw this, but it's essentially going to completely obliterate the NWSL season for, you know, take out the star players. It's a 10 city tour. (laughs) It's a 10 game tour. And it's basically going to take out the players from, you know, the beginning of May through July. And that's just such a big chunk of the season. And, you know, there are a lot of people who know a lot more about this who said, you know, there was a way to do this where it didn't obliterate the NWSL season quite as extensively as it is. Of course, the players in the World Cup need to be playing together. Of course, you know, they need some some warm up. But 10? Do they need 10 games? Do they need to be out for this extended period of time? There's Probably not. And so it's just kind of another way where U.S. soccer, which remember, still is not named an NWSL commissioner. <laughs> it's been about two years and there hasn't been a commissioner is kind of hurting the game. Brenda? Yeah. And I think one of the things about that, though, to recognize, and I, I, I really don't know what to do about it, is I actually think they do need to be convened pretty early. I do. If it were me, if I was a coach, Right. But it doesn't seem like there is any effort to negotiate because it's not only the U.S. players that are going to be gone. It's going to be the Brazilians. It's going to be, you know, Sam Kerr. It's going to be the Canadians. It's going to be Marta in Orlando. Like, it's going to be a lot of people. And it just seems like there wasn't an effort to think through the NWSL season, which is like a a real drag in general. I, I actually don't think that they shouldn't convene in May. I think May is a super reasonable time. But I think it's a problem that they didn't try to work this out totally, you know, and that they didn't care or seem to care. I mean, that points to the levels of communication going back between, I mean, we know how much FIFA generally cares. I mean, they've literally scheduled the final of the Women's World Cup on two other final days, which is just mind-bogglingly irritating. Linz? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, in response to Brenda, but to me, it just goes back to the fact that U.S. soccer is supposed to be invested in growing the NWSL, right? So the NWSL doesn't really have anyone, you know, on its behalf that's able to help in these negotiations because U.S. soccer just comes in and it's just shown time and time again that it's willing to throw NWSL under the bus. And I, of course, I understand. And of course, ideally, you would want them to convene as early as possible. But it's just frustrating, I think, that there is no representative arguing for the NWSL and that U.S. soccer just continues to show that it's yeah. not a priority for them. No, I totally agree with that. I think that one last thing that when we wrap up this segment, I just want to sort of mention that I, I didn't mention in the discussion about Ballon d'Or, and I'm not over it. I won't be over it for about five years. I think the thing is, is that Martin Solveig's apology was a non-apology and it wasn't an apology and it was just a statement and using the fact that he has had friends for 20 years who know him. I have no idea what that has to do with Ada Hergerberg, but that was just another indication of how these things are approached. When you tell someone they're sexist and they get defensive and they get horrible. And instead of looking at the problem where they could fix it, they start fixating on the label itself. It's not a label. It's a fact. You're sexist. Your comment was really inappropriate and offensive. So deal with that and fix that before you start lashing out at everybody else. Brent? Yeah, I just wanted to mention because I'm I'm really negative. Maybe some people saw my Patreon newsletter, which was literally like a Grinch. <laughs> so I wanted to be like just mentioning this thing. That we do have to say there's something really positive going on as the Colombian League collapses and as there's all this stuff going on in Europe. One really great thing is that we're looking at the second finals of the Liga Mexicana Femenil. And so the Mexican women are going into a great finals. It's down to Tigres and America. They're playing December 5th. 
and December 11th. And one of them in, is in Estadio Azteca, which is really important for, you know, worldwide women's soccer. It's the biggest women's soccer match probably ever played in 1971 with 100, over 100,000 people. I'm sorry, U.S. people that love to like cling to your Rose Bowl stuff. I get it. It's a great game. You're just wrong. And the second leg will be in Estadio Universitario, which is, again, an awesome venue. So really excited. Of course, it's like you can probably from the U.S. just get it on in Canada on Facebook Live. But it's still going to be awesome and we're seeing. So I just wanted to put in my one happy, happy plug for what's going on. I like happy plugs. Thank you, Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. Next, Jessica talked to Monique Billings, forward for the WNBA's Atlanta Dream, about her rookie season in the league, playing in China during the offseason, being the only black person in the town she lives in in China, getting in trouble with the NCAA for her YouTube video content, and living in a stadium. Literally. So I'm here today with Monique Billings, a forward for the WNBA's Atlanta Dream, who just finished her rookie season, but you are nowhere near Atlanta right now, are you, Monique? I am nowhere near Atlanta. <laughs> Where are you? Opposite side of the world. I'm in Deqing, China. Wow. Yeah. So just to be clear, so I'm in Austin, Texas right now. It's a little after 9 p.m. And you're in China. And what time is it? It is 11.02 a.m. <laughs> right. And here we are, the magic of the internet. I definitely want to get to China because I think that's fascinating. And we don't talk enough about that with WNBA players. But I wanted to start of just go back to transitioning into the WNBA because you just finished your rookie season. You came off a really successful career at UCLA. What was that transition like from college to the professional level? Honestly, I had probably one of the best transitions out of anyone who I've like talked to. I've heard a lot of different stories and a lot of different takes on how people have adjusted and transitioned from going to college into the WNBA. And I was really blessed just to just flow into it. You know, I came in knowing that I have a lot to learn and it's so different being like coming from being a superstar at UCLA and then going to the WNBA, you're at the bottom of the barrel. And I knew (laughs) that was going to happen and I was ready for it. I was ready to embrace it and ready just to work my way up. And I mean, that's kind of what happened. Like I just worked and got my coach's trust and she started playing me towards the end of the season. And I became like, I would say, Actually, she would say too, she told me in my exit interview that I was a key player for the team and that I helped them in many situations. And she said I was a crowd favorite and I brought a lot of good <laughs> energy and a lot of good attributes to the team. That's awesome. And you guys had a hell of a season. What are you thinking going into your second year? What are your goals? Just to keep that same momentum that we had as a team. Honestly, this is probably one of my favorite years ever of playing basketball. I've been playing basketball 17 years, and this is probably some of the most fun I've ever had. And that's also something that I wasn't expecting coming into the WNBA. It's a business. This is your job now. You're getting paid for this. So it's very competitive, and there's a lot of interesting people and a lot of interesting opinions and just different things that go on in the WNBA. So I didn't know what to expect, but I wasn't expecting this at all. And I was really just blessed and thankful to be around such amazing women on my teammates who took me in as their little sister and just showed me the ropes and really encouraged me. And that just gave me so much confidence throughout the season. So I think I just want to keep going with that confidence that we had and kind of like a mantra that we had for our team was keep that same energy. So just to keep that same energy. And hopefully next year, make it to the championship. We were so close this past year. So close. I was fortunate. I actually got to see you guys play at one point in the season because I was in Atlanta and it was thrilling. I had a great time. So I want to talk about China. Let's start with how does it, I guess, like the logistics of it? Like, how do you go? How do you find a team in China? Like, do they find you? What is the process like? So I have an agent and she sets everything up. She will send like film to different teams. She sent film to teams in different countries. I know Turkey, Korea, and China. And I wanted to go to China. So this is where I definitely wanted to go. So I'm actually really blessed and fortunate to be here just because it's almost rare for a rookie to get a Chinese contract. 
especially in oh, this okay. yeah, for a rookie. It's just, it's rare. So it's just a blessing to be here. And I knew that it was going to be tough. Like when I signed up for it, I was like, there's a language barrier, just the amount of hours, the time difference, as we talked about earlier, just not being able to talk mm-hmm. to my family as much. And just, I'm the only American on my team. So like in other oh, countries, wow. yeah, other countries overseas, more so like Europe, there are two Americans, sometimes three, sometimes four Americans per team. So you have, you know, people to speak to and it's just a little bit easier. I'm the only one. I have a translator and he communicates everything between my teammates, between my coach. It's definitely been an interesting transition, but this too has gone a lot smoother than I thought. I actually like China a lot better than I expected. I didn't think I would like it as much. I heard, I haven't heard the best things about from the WNBA players who have told me about their Chinese mm-hmm. experience, I haven't heard the best things. So I was a little nervous coming in and a little hesitant, but it's been really smooth. It's been cool. I get taken really good care of. I like the food. I'm not really a picky eater, <laughs> but I eat the same thing pretty much every day. I eat like chicken, broccoli, and rice, but it's yummy <laughs> and it's healthy. So it's good. And it's been a lot smoother than I expected. With the translator, what's happening during the game? Oof, is he there? Yeah, he's on the bench with me. He will, if I'm on the court, he's on the bench. And if my coach will say something, he'll just yell it out or she'll call me over. And side note, my coach also plays on the team and she's a legend oh, out here in China. Yeah, they call her the female Kobe. She's legit. So yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic, but I think it's been going really smooth. Like I said, why did you make the decision to play overseas uh, in the off season? A lot of women who play in the WNBA go overseas and play overseas for the financial Mm -hmm. opportunity. It's just a lot greater than it is in the WNBA. And it's just another platform kind of the WNBA is a short season. It's only five months in the summer. So during this is our off season, technically. So during our off season, that's where we make a good chunk of our money. And also just to keep in shape and to keep working on our game, that's definitely important. And China is probably one of the best seasons because it's only four months. A lot of the European seasons are eight months. So women are playing eight months overseas, come right back, go to training camp for the WNBA, play that five-month season, and then go right back overseas. So there's like almost no break and no stop. So that's why I was really, really fortunate to be able to come to China because it's only four months. So then I'll have four months off just to kind of regroup, relax, and just do some things off the cover. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So how much time did you have between the end of the WNBA season and when you actually went over to China? I only had about three weeks. It wasn't that long. Oh, wow. You said it's been smooth, but I mean, what are some of the challenges that you've had since moving over there? I just, I mean, did you experience culture shock? It sounds like maybe you didn't. Yeah, yes and no. I would say I try to be kind of unfazed by it just because I had to come in knowing that I'm the only black person in this city. I say I live in Kansas, China. Oh, that's that's (laughs) so interesting. I didn't even think about that. Okay. Yeah. Like, So I get stared at 24-7. People will just try to ask questions. And I'm learning Mandarin, but I'm not able to really communicate with them. So my translator will try to translate. People will try to like take pictures. And a lot of people even like sneak pictures. And I kind of hate that. It's really annoying. Like I'll like turn my head and like see people like (laughs) taking pictures. I'm like, you guys could just ask. But I would say that's probably the biggest culture shock. Just being the only American or even just person who looks like me in this whole area. Did they assume that you're a basketball player? That's a really good question. I don't think so. A lot of them don't okay. know. I'll say, Lancho. That means I play basketball. And they'll be like, oh, Dalancho. So it's like, oh, it doesn't seem like they really know. Because how tall are you? I'm 6'3". So, I mean, yeah, I stand man. Yeah. yeah, yes, I can't. I mean, I'm six foot. So, yeah, hey, talk I imagine girl. that you do. I know, right. yes. Unite. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> So one thing that you've been doing for a while now and that you're going to be doing while you're in China is that you have a YouTube series and the name of it in China is The Ball Never Stops. And I highly encourage everyone to go check this out on YouTube. I think the best way to find it, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but just to you know, search your name yeah. on YouTube and your page pops up and you have the one that I watched today, but you know, in preparation for this is about a five minute like intro video into your time in China. 
And it's great. You are great on camera. You're great at the narration and everything. So tell me a little bit about getting into this. Like what made you want to do this? And do you do it all yourself? Or do you have people that help you? Because I imagine that's a lot of time. (laughs) Well, first off, thank you so much. That just made my whole day. I pretty much do do it all myself. And why I started it, I was at UCLA. And I was just like, I want to show my journey. Like I on my social media platforms, like Instagram and Twitter, I'll have a lot of my fans or just supporters reach out to me, young girls and women and just stuff like that. They'll ask me questions. How do you do this? How do you navigate this? And I just try to be like a positive light. And so I was like, how can I show this was in when I was in college? I was like, how can I show my journey and show what I'm going through to kind of help others out? So I started, it was called Confessions of a College Athlete. And it was kind of just showing different things, different parts of my journey, like how to do time management. I would ask other student athletes and interview them because um, I want to do broadcasting one day. That's something I'm interested in. Oh, okay. Okay. Both of those and just showing like... I can see that with you. Oh, I can thank see you it. so much. But yeah, just trying to show like the behind the scenes of a student athlete's life, like me being more than an athlete. That was something that was really important for me. And it was a little hard mm-hmm. in college trying to navigate YouTube because of the NCAA. There's so many rules that, oh, you can't yes. wear this shirt. You can't post this. You can't say this. Interesting. You, you know, so I got shut down a lot. So it really discouraged me. But What I do you mean like, you got shut down a lot? Tell me a little bit more about that. Like you were told not to post things? Yeah. I couldn't wear certain shirts. I couldn't say certain things. I couldn't have certain captions or show. Just if I was in a video, say I was going to In-N-Out. I couldn't say, hey, guys, I'm at In-N-Out. That would be an NCAA. Did you figure that out by doing it and then being told that you had to take it down? Yes. I don't, I, how do you even learn those lessons? Okay. That's exactly how it happened. And it was just really wow. frustrating and discouraging because I'm like, I'm an athlete, but I have a voice too, just like a regular person. So yeah. why can't I just show my life? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So Nothing should surprise Jump through hoops and hurdles and all that. But now that I'm no longer an NCAA student athlete, yeah. I'm able just to showcase what I want. And so I'm still going with it and um, trying to... Like uh, I said, just trying to build my fan base. So make sure y'all check me out on the YouTube. Yeah, definitely. And it's such a neat video. And you talk in the video about where you live. And it looks like you live in a stadium. (laughs) Did I get that? Okay, please tell me more about this. I'm looking out at the track field right now. (laughs) Like I literally live. It's a government owned stadium. And my teammates and I are the only people that live here. And it's actually really nice. It's pretty That's modern. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's dope. There's like maids and they will clean my room. There's a, um, I have a chef and he cooks the food and everything and he'll make me fried chicken sometimes. So, I mean, it's been pretty wow. good. It's a good situation. I didn't know how it was going to be at first. I'm like, my backyard is a track field, you know, but it's cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I actually rewound the video a little bit. I, that sounds, I'm like an old lady. I rewound the video, but like I backed it up a little bit because I was like, am I getting this? Um, right. Looks really neat. Well, thank you so much, Monique, for joining us on Burn It All Down. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I'm just really excited. Thank you. I'm so happy to have Amrit Gill on Burn It All Down today. Amrit is a multimedia journalist based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. She broke through to become the first woman on Hockey Night in Canada's Punjabi edition as a digital content coordinator and host. Her proven ability for curating original, relevant, and high-quality content with the push on digital has resulted in international coverage from the likes of HBO and ESPN. Now she's in her fourth season, and she aims to tell stories that paint a picture of the changing face of hockey in North America. In addition to loving a margarita pizza, a good margarita pizza, Amrit is also responsible for helping changing the face of what hockey looks like in Canada, and I'm so happy to talk to her today. Welcome, Amrit. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. A little bit nervous, too. (laughs) No, there's nothing to be nervous about. So (laughs) you're a Canucks man. Yes. And that is totally acceptable and totally fine. We don't make any judgments unless Mm -hmm. you like Boston teams and that's Mm -hmm. okay. I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
<laughs> but question for you, you were really instrumental in covering the Indian women's hockey team that recently came to Canada to play in Haley Wickenheiser's Wick Fest. Can you tell me a little bit about what that experience was like for you from also being from the subcontinent? It was something that I felt like I had to do. I watched um, a video of the team online about a year and a half ago. And I do um, these little pieces just involving pictures of what the girls were doing and, you know, what they were taking on despite the lack of resources. And when I heard that Haley Wickenheiser would bring them over to Canada with all the uh, volunteers helping out and really a collective effort. I asked my producer if I could go and he said yes. So, oh my goodness, it was really just a dream come true. And it's a passion project come to life. And I feel like there was a certain responsibility while I was there as well. And with the coverage that I was putting out through social media and what you might have seen on Hockey Night Punjabi and other things that I'll be uh, uploading, I'm really hoping that the message is pushed across that, you know, these girls, what they're doing is very important, not only for the sport, but gender equality in India. So it was really just a dream come true. And they're such beautiful people inside and out. I think you might have seen the images that came out of India. They don't have much. They, the facilities just aren't there for them when it comes to playing ice hockey. But regardless of that, they still scrap for the equipment. They still make their own ice. And, you know, if they can do that much just out of the love for the game, imagine what they can do if they have the right resources, the right support, good leadership. And of course, you know, the facility really needed to play ice hockey. So I'm hoping, you know, with the stories that we're going to be putting out in the near future that, you know, somebody will take note and really give these girls a helping hand and continue to establish them back home. Were they at all surprised to hear about Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, and to see you as like a woman of color, also from India originally, to see you doing the work you do? Did it surprise them at all? You know what? I don't think it surprised them at all when we're speaking about my position. Yeah, I think they were happy. They were pleased, of course, you know, seeing another woman doing, you know, a job in sports. That's always nice, right? You're always rooting for the other girl as well because you're like, yes, you're pushing the same message forward. And that just means, you know, it's going to get across, you know, faster. But I think everybody's surprised when it comes to Hockey Night Punjabi. Like if you've never heard of it you're like oh hockey in Punjabi to this day we still get tweets saying oh I accidentally flipped my channel onto Omni and now I'm hearing Punjabi commentators so I think there's always a little bit of surprise there but it always comes with like positive comments too yeah of course I mean it was it's wonderful you know to have that opportunity and to sort of broaden the scope of who can have access to watching hockey commentary. I think it's really important. It's really, really fun. And the crew that you work with is incredible mm -hmm. in the sense like the team is really, it's professional. And I really love how the line isn't, it's not what we look like. It's actually about how much we know. And you, y'all know hockey really well mm -hmm. and are able to do it and to do it in two languages is pretty impressive in my opinion. But another thing I was going to ask you about, is there any one particular story like I know you work a lot with and you feature rather on one of your interviews you featured a hockey team out of Surrey and you know to have the diversity in a sport that's really not that diverse particularly in the upper echelons of women's hockey does that give you a sense of hope and are you seeing more young women from different communities come out for the sport so I did a story on this peewee team called the Surrey Falcons about a season ago these girls, they told me they weren't having the best season from the start, but they really loved the game and they wanted to do better, not only for themselves, but the entire organization. And while I was there interviewing every single member of the team, they all sat down. I just wanted, you know, one or two girls to give me clips, but they all sat down with their chairs. I really got a sense of the importance of teamwork, you know, despite their ages, they're very, very young. Each of them really preached the importance of teamwork and working cohesively. And I was looking at the team as I'm, you know, doing this interview and I was just amazed. It was a diverse collection of faces. And, you know, that's really heartwarming, you know, not only as a person of color, but just a fan of the sport to see, you know, all these girls come together just to play a game of hockey and they don't have anything else in mind other than, you know, we're going to work together. We're going to try our best and we're going to get a win. Yeah. <laughs> but what 
they don't know is them doing that on the ice that shows, you know, the audience and everybody else that's looking at their pictures, a different message that, hey, the game is growing and we're seeing it. We're seeing it happen every single day. And we need to, you know, push that forward and support the people, you know, behind these teams as well. Just this past weekend, I was at a rink in Burnaby and I was talking to a woman. Her name is Echo Lee and she works with the Burnaby Wildcats. She was telling me that a lot of girls on that team, they've had to move cities just to join a female team because there wasn't space available or there wasn't, you know, the right number of girls to form a team. So it goes to show you that a lot of work needs to be done. Mm, For young girls and women to access the sport. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always nice to highlight all of these positive stories. It's great, but we need to discuss the nitty gritty as well. And, you know, that unfortunately, you know, we have to bring a light to that and we're only going to see change. Definitely. In the work that you've done, has there ever been any negative sort of reaction to you presenting on sports and particularly a super machismo sport like ice hockey? Have there ever ever been people that have like questioned your knowledge or sort of questioned your existence in this field? I think, you know, some people always question my Punjabi a little bit. Being a first-generation Canadian, I didn't really speak Punjabi growing up. It wasn't until I turned 19 that I kind of got a grasp of the language, and I'm still working on it. I'm still trying because it's my mother tongue, and I should, of course. So that's one thing that's, you know, always come up. Okay, she could have better Punjabi, but and I'm working on it. I'm trying. Sure. But in the past, you know, there have been comments made that, oh, she only got hired because of her looks. And <laughs> that's not the case. I never intended to be on camera. <laughs> like I was supposed to work behind the scenes, but I told my producer, hey, we need to start telling stories because there's a void there. And, you know, there is potential there for, you know, social change to be pushed forward. So, yeah, so we have gotten a couple of comments like that. <laughs> Yeah. But other than that, it's been positive. Super, super positive. And that's wonderful. And what about your own community in the sense of they must be so proud of you to be out there doing this kind of work and creating spaces. And even in this ESPN article, which we'll link to the show notes, in which you explain how there's generations of, you know, hockey lovers in your own family. And if I'm not incorrect, it was even your grandmother that was really into hockey. And then to have a, something like, you know, Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, and then have her have access to the commentary. It must have been really incredibly, you know, wonderful experience, like, you know, for your family and for the community. Yeah, my parents are super proud. I used to watch hockey with my grandma and my grandpa Mm -hmm. growing up. She's not with us anymore, unfortunately, so they didn't get to see me do this. (laughs) They didn't get to see me be on Hockey Night Punjabi, but, you know, every time I go into work, I think about them and I think about how much the sport has really given to me. And at the end of the day, if I we can produce a great entertaining show for our audience and then provide an experience where the family can get together, it's that's just, you know, a way of giving back. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite player? I think Sidney Crosby has always been a fan favorite. He's provided so many great moments as a hockey fan. So it's kind of hard not to be a fan of him. <laughs> but I shouldn't talk too much about favorite players because you're supposed to stay uh, neutral when <laughs> you work broadcasting. What about on the women's side? Oh, definitely Haley Wickenheiser. I got to uh, sit down and interview her just last week. And, you know, she's a great player, six-time Olympian. And she's awesome on the ice, but off the ice, she really is superwoman. She is doing so much for the sport at a grassroots level. She's holding WICFest, not only in Calgary this year, but next year in January, actually, it'll be in Surrey as well. So she's really been a champion for the sport on and off the ice. And on top of it, she's in medical school. Is that not so cool? Yeah, she's in medical school in Calgary, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that's true. So, oh my goodness. It just goes to show you that, you know, you're capable of so much. As long as you put your head down and get to work. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, she's great. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Amrit. It was a real pleasure and I love the work you do. And it's so great to see you on TV. I love you on camera and the stories that you're committed (laughs) to telling. It's like, I'm really happy. There's not a whole lot of us 
particularly in Canadian sports media, there's very, very few. So it's like, it's, it's a pretty small club of people, particularly from the, you know, South Asian diaspora that are, they're out there. So um, I'm so excited, you know, that, that you do the work that you do. It's really important. Yeah, like I said, we're all on the same team. I'm pushing the same message forward. So thank you for all that you do as well. It will really, really make, you know, change happen. Hopefully sooner than later. (laughs) (laughs) Now for everyone's favorite segment, the burn pile. Brenda, what are you going to burn today? <laughs> I feel such a broken recordy. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's men's fault. But I am going to harp on the same uh, a kind of same thing here, which is really bad governance from the patriarchs of global football and in this in this scenario, it's the US Soccer Federation. And so it's a little different, right? Mixing it up here. You have to admit, I'm going after like an Anglo soccer federation right now. I'm mixing it up. And I would like to say it's not Comabo, it's CONCACAF. And I would also like to say that I pay dues to said federation for my girls playing soccer. So I also feel I have a personal investment in this horribly managed governing body. So U.S. Soccer Federation um, is being sued by the U.S. Soccer Foundation, which was formed from the profits or some of the profits from the 1994 World Cup. And it has distributed over $100 million to try to, to projects to try to open access to soccer for underprivileged communities, particularly communities of color. And evidently, the U.S. Soccer Federation feels as though the U.S. Soccer Foundation has limited its opportunities to take advantage for commercial opportunities coming given the 2026 World Cup. And they want the U.S. Soccer Foundation to stop using the logo that they've always used. So, like, then the foundation has to sue them because, like, what else do they have but the brand they've been using for 14 years? (laughs) It's an NGO. (laughs) What? On top of what makes this such a shit show is that, like, Half of the board members of U.S. Soccer Federation are also on U.S. Soccer Foundation. So what are you like suing yourself? I don't like I really it's confusing. It's crazy. But basically, I'm going to burn anything that the U.S. Soccer Federation is doing to limit kids access to soccer from um, underprivileged and minority communities because pay-to-play sucks, and we all know it. And even Pep Guardiola, love you, has come out and said pay-to-play is ruining U.S. soccer. So I want to burn any attempt to, to limit those efforts, and that lawsuit just seems like a bunch of crap to me. Burn. 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 Jess? Yeah, so I'm back on my bullshit, too. The University of Maryland football program has had many problems over the last nine months or so. The biggest one, of course, being that a 19-year-old player, Jordan McNair, died a preventable death of heat stroke after collapsing in spring training. And it took a whole lot of outside pressure for the school to actually punish the people responsible, the ones paid millions of dollars in theory to care for the lives of young men. But they did. Finally, fire the head football coach, DJ Durkin, which seems like the nicest thing they could have done for the man who oversaw the employees who failed to save a kid's life that they could have saved. Earlier this week, Maryland introduced Mike Loxley as their new head coach. He is currently the offensive coordinator at Alabama, that juggernaut of a team, and has won national awards this season for his work there. This is his third stint at Maryland. He helped recruit McNair before he headed to Alabama, in fact. And so he knows the McNair family, and Jordan's father has said of Loxley, quote, we support Mike 1,000%. But Loxley's one head coaching job before this one was at New Mexico about a decade ago. And earlier this month, the Washington Post reported that his time there should perhaps give people pause, especially because he's taking over a program that, while not technically toxic per the external review Maryland paid for, has a toxic culture. 
In 2009, an administrative assistant filed an age and sex discrimination complaint against Loxley with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, saying he told her he wanted younger women in the role to help with recruiting. The claim was later withdrawn. Later that year, during a coach's meeting following New Mexico's loss to Air Force, Loxley was accused of punching assistant coach J.B. Gerald in the face. Gerald filed a lawsuit that said it was a hostile work environment under Loxley, the punches to the face being the best example of that. According to the Washington Post, the lawsuit said, quote, Loxley became upset about Gerald's response to questions concerning a play in the game and began shouting at him and other coaches. Loxley then attacked Gerald, quote, pinning him to his chair and choking him. Other coaches in the room pulled Loxley and Gerald apart, but while Gerald was restrained, Loxley broke free and struck him in the face several times. The suit was settled out of court. In his introduction as Maryland's new head football coach, Loxley said he has grown since his time at New Mexico. Damon Evans, the athletic director at Maryland, who many thought would lose his job in the fallout around McNair's death, said he talked to Loxley about his time at New Mexico and said Loxley has learned from his mistakes. Maybe he has. I sincerely hope he has. Jordan McNair's father believes in him and that is not nothing. But I am so tired of the system of college football and how it seems to reward bad, even violent behavior, or to be more generous, condones it. I mean, for God's sake, Liberty University just hired Hugh Freeze as their head football coach. Everything is truly upside down and exactly how it's supposed to be. How are we to ever know or understand if a program is toxic and what, I mean, what really does that even mean within this system of college football? So today, I'd like to burn how unsurprising it was to learn that Loxley had a past that would make us concerned for his future at a program whose present is still under scrutiny. It shouldn't be this way, and yet, here we are. Burn. Burn. I'm next, and I'm going to burn the incessant racial abuse of Raheem Sterling of the Man City Football Club. Man City played Chelsea yesterday, to which Chelsea won to nothing. It's the first time Man City lost this year. They're league champs. We all love Nolo Kante, and I actually really do love David Deweese. I know that's not a popular opinion, but I'm going to say it anyway. This doesn't mean I love Chelsea. It does mean that I absolutely hate the racial abuse Raheem Sterling has always had to endure. He is hated by British media. He is vilified because he's a young black man who worked his way up through the ranks and bought his mom a house. He is like one of the most devoted sons in football, like just absolutely great guy, does the thing. He's He almost feels like, it almost feels like he has to tiptoe around to exist. The thing is that, that yesterday, it, the media caught fans like yelling racial abuse at him, but that was actually... Before that, even, there was a chant by Chelsea fans, and they were yelling, Raheem Sterling runs like a girl. So this entire thing of racial abuse is actually predated by the fact that there's this joke that he runs like a girl. First of all, that's what that basically just means is he runs around defenders and making them look ridiculous. That's how I'm going to translate that. But I don't think that's that's what was intended. It was intended to embarrass him. And this is a problem and also a problem, even in the precursor to this show, we were talking about this. The fact that he was like, that was the comment was made to him was overshadowed by the racialized abuse, which is very, very egregious. But the point is, is that telling him that he runs like a girl is very, very problematic to begin with. Like, what does that say to a country that's trying to lift itself up its women's side that has been, you know, a place where misogyny war has existed, where sexism has existed? It's been like, this is not a good thing. The FA should really stand up, in my opinion. The Premier League and be like, no, that's not okay. They should issue some type of statement, some, I don't know, public campaign or ad that they're really good at doing and and talk about this as well because you can be sexist in addition to being racist as well I know this is shocking you don't have to pick one or the other now as far as Raheem Sterling goes I think he's a great player I'm a huge fan of him now it's like Brenda's just mentioned something sexism is like a gateway drug to racism in the Premier League and that's exactly what we've seen in this and thank you for that comment I want it on a t-shirt Again, like kick it out and these organizations that try to help, I mean, how effective are they really? But kick it out is good in that it's been talking about it. Fairnet's been tweeting about it. But we need to see. I want those fans that were literally mouthing those words at him. And I will link this to the show notes, but only because I want you to see how badly it was written. Sport Bible actually 20 hours ago and we're recording Sunday morning wrote a piece about what Chelsea fans were singing 
So they tried to minimize the racialized abuse. And you know what they did? They actually used the example that when John Terry was being, was uh, sort of in a, at a hearing because he had actually racially abused Antoine Ferdinand that, oh, it's very difficult. And, you know, to read lips, it's not always accurate when people read lips. And I'm sort of like, no, that's sport Bible. That's a really, really, really bad example of what to do. And we all know John Terry is racist as fuck. So that's a really, really bad example. Actually, you know what? I'm not linking in the show notes because I just hate this article and probably tweeted them. So I'm going to burn that. Let's burn all of that. The sexism is a gateway to racism. All of it. Done. Burn. burn. After all that burning, we're so happy to be amplifying and elevating some incredible people this week. Honorable mentions for Baddest Woman of the Week all go to Beth Mead, the Arsenal women's side player, for winning the Football Supporters Federation Player of the Year. Dina Asher-Smith, Miss English Runner, is the BT Action Woman of the Year. The English women's netball team, which won the BT Action Award for Team of the Year in England. Pernille Harder was chosen as Guardian's Women Footballer of the Year. Khalida Popal, Mina Ahmedi, Shabna Mobarez, and coach Kelly Lindsay of the Afghan women's national football team for continuing the courage to disclose sexual and emotional abuse of players at the hands of the Afghan Football Federation staff, including the president. They're in an ongoing battle with them. And now finally, after all their toil, FIFA is starting to investigate this case. Rebecca Lobo will have her number 50 jersey retired at UConn, yay UConn, along with Ray Allen's number 34 in early March. Both are members of the Husky of Honor inaugural classes, which recognizes standout student athletes and coaches by retiring their jerseys. Alex Morgan was named the USA 2018 Women's Player of the Year. Also, a special shout out to Florida State women's soccer team who won the NCAA Women's Soccer Championship with a 1-0 victory over UNC in the final. Can I get a drum? Can I get a drum roll, please? Can't wait for the transcript of that. Our badass woman of the week is... Ada Hergerberg, the 23-year-old Norwegian footballer and Olympic Lyonnais player, and the first winner of the Ballon d'Or for women. What's good? Brenda, what's good? Meh. Almost nothing. <laughs> it's finals oh, week. Bren. <laughs> it's finals week. Finals week. Oh. And that makes me sad to say goodbye to my students and always feel like I haven't taught them enough and uh, also simultaneously exhausted from reading their work. So I guess the good thing is, though, there is a finite end to it. So love you, students. Also, it's not you, it's me. It's time to go our separate ways. (laughs) Jess. Yeah, so first of all, I'm wearing my Burn It All Down hoodie right now, so that's always good. You can get one on Teespring. They're awesome. And my thing is my normal thing. I've been baking a lot. I made an amazing brown sugar shortbread last week. Like, it's so good that I actually had to skip lunch one day because I ate so much of it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, like, trying to tell myself not to make it again, but it was excellent. I'm making... Some Oreos for my friend's wedding next weekend because y'all get this. She is doing the great wedding bake-off for her wedding. It's actually adorable. She put a friend in charge. There's a spreadsheet. We had to pick categories and everyone's bringing desserts from home with them instead of there being like one wedding cake. So I'll be making my Oreos. I bought a special um, heart-shaped cookie cutout just just for it for the wedding. And I don't. I just think there's nothing more good than cookies during the holidays. So that's where I am. It was my mom's 70th birthday yesterday. Happy birthday to my mom, Mama. I love her. She didn't know. My brother and I drove down to Windsor just to surprise her. And we had a really lovely, lovely day with her. It was short but sweet. And she was thrilled. She loves balloons. I got her balloons, one like a helium seven and a helium zero. And she just was so excited. We did boomerang videos. It was just really, really cute. Happy birthday to my mom. She loves her birthday. She's like Amira levels of loving her birthday. So I think that's that's wonderful. Well, happy birthday, Mom. Thank you. Lynn's? Yeah, Christmas tree is up and decorated. So that is exciting. 
And just because I didn't know where else to fit in our show, want to give Atlanta a shout out for winning the MLS Cup. So when yes. MLS champions. So that's Ooh, congratulations, sorry. Atlanta. That's such a yeah. That's it for this week in Burn It All Down. Although we are done for now, you can always burn all day and night with our fabulous array of merchandise, including mugs, pillows, tees, hoodies, bags. Holidays are coming up very soon. And what better way to tell someone you love them by giving them a pillowcase that crushes toxic patriarchy in sports and sports media. Check out our Teespring store at teespring.com slash stores slash burn it all down. Burn It All Down lives on SoundCloud, but can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. We appreciate your reviews and feedback, so please subscribe and rate to let us know what we did well and how we can improve. We love getting your emails and comments and really appreciate it. You can find us on Facebook at Burn It All Down, on Twitter at Burn It All Down Pod, or on Instagram at, at Burn It All Down Pod. You can email us at burnitalldownpod at gmail.com. Check out our website, www.burnitalldownpod.com, where you will find previous episodes, transcripts, and a link to our Patreon. We would appreciate you subscribing, sharing, and rating our show, which helps us do the work we love to do and keep burning what needs to be burned. On behalf of Brenda, Jessica, and Lindsay, I'm Shireen. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm sorry.